Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 12 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2017, Resolved, Why the Reformation Matters Today. We now join Charles Cavanaugh for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. After decades of scurrilous caricatures and misinformation, Roman Catholics and Protestants are finally speaking to each other. And this is revealing a greater variety of viewpoints in both camps. It also reveals, one, how little most Protestants know about their own convictions, and two, with what great ease they find the concerns raised by the Protestant Reformation to be simply irrelevant. So said R.C. Sproul in the opening pages of his book, Faith Alone. He went on to say a survey about 20 years ago revealed that about 77% of evangelicals say that man is basically good by nature and that 87% insist that in salvation God helps those who help themselves. It's little wonder then that evangelicalism is adopting a more sympathetic attitude towards Rome. Which brings us to the struggle Martin Luther had with this question, how can I know that I am right with God, accepted by him, free from fear of his rejection of us, his condemnation, and his irreversible and eternal judgment. Is this possible? And if it is possible, then how? By what means? What can we do? What case can be made in his court on our behalf? Shall we do our best? Shall we muster our best efforts to do his will, obey his law, and thus live lives that may somehow meet with his approval? How hard must we try? How close must we get to the mark of his righteousness? But we've been told by scripture itself, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All turned aside, together became worthless. There is none who practices goodness, not even one. This is the great dilemma. This is the human tragedy from which all other tragedies, small or great, spring and which leads us back to our original question. Is it possible? How is it possible to be right with God, to be genuinely righteous in his sight? This is the theme of scripture, and the answer to this question is the gospel itself. It is the one question which set the blaze at Wittenberg, a blaze which caught and spread across Europe and shook the foundations of the Roman Catholic Church and Western civilization. Its answer lies at the very heart of what it means to be Protestant and draws a dividing line between the true biblical gospel and what can be justly described as another gospel. The whole of Paul's letter to the Church of Rome deals thoroughly and convincingly with this 
question and its answer. To understand Romans is to have a thorough understanding of the true gospel, and to understand our text is to have the basis for a thorough understanding of Romans and to see that salvation comes by grace alone and more to the point, through faith alone. And so I want us to look this evening at Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And I want us to think for these few moments on the subject, salvation by faith alone. In his letter to Romans, it's as though Paul sets the theme for the letter, for this theological treatise in verse 17, when he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul had just said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and a salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, I want us to see three main things in this passage and draw some other passages to bear upon what Paul says here so that we get an understanding, first, of where Paul is going with this letter, but second, what it means to be saved by faith alone. The first thing we notice is righteousness revealed. In this postmodern, even post-postmodern era, definitions change rapidly and long-settled ideas and answers are no longer accepted as facts or truth. Everything is relative, which means that the answer to the question, is it right or wrong, is it depends. It depends on the situation or your point of view. So this means that biblical concepts such as salvation, righteousness, and sin are outdated, meaningless, and irrelevant to most people. Biblical Christian truth is attacked from every side, not only from outside the church, but from inside the profession church as well. This directly affects views regarding the need of and meaning of salvation and the righteousness of God. <clears throat> But scripture assures us that the righteousness of God is being revealed, Paul says in our text. God is revealing his righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. But in what sense, in what way is the righteousness of God being revealed or has been revealed in the gospel? Isn't the gospel simply that Christ died to keep sinners from going to hell? That much is true, but there's so much more in the pure and simple gospel. The first thing we see about the revelation of God's righteousness in the gospel is that the righteousness of God is revealed in the crucifixion of Christ. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I preached unto you, first of all, the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. God is righteous. He cannot sin, nor can he tolerate sin. 
It is against his very character and nature. The prophet Habakkuk tells us, you are of pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. But as one dear brother once said, the God who cannot look upon sin cannot overlook sin. That is why God has passed the sentence of death upon the sinner. The soul that sins shall die, Ezekiel says. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, The human problem is that they have been, man has been, humankind has been affected and infected with sin in every aspect of his being. This is what we mean when we speak of total depravity. Sometimes we refer to it as total inability. Men and women are so completely sinful that everything they do is tainted by sin and there's no righteousness in them. Yet 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God has made him to be sin in place of us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. But what God did, by what God did to his son, Jesus on the cross, he demonstrated his opinion of sin. And by the way God's opinion, and by the way God's opinion is the only one that really counts. It isn't relative. Do you want to know what God thinks of sin? Look at the cross. Do you want to know the measure to which God would respond to you and me without Christ? Look at the cross. God hates sin. And he demonstrates, he demonstrated that on his son, in his son, on the cross. But the other aspect of how God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel is that the righteousness of God is revealed in the resurrection of Christ, not only in the crucifixion of Christ, but in the resurrection of Christ. The death of Christ is certainly not the end of the gospel story. The death of Christ from the wrath of God poured out on him is not where the revelation of God's righteousness ends. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification or that we might be declared righteous. <clears throat> the death of Christ demonstrates what a righteous God thinks of sin. The resurrection of Christ shows what a holy God thinks of righteousness. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. He fulfilled the righteous demands of God's law perfectly. And verse four of this chapter says, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. If you want to know what God thinks of righteousness, look at the resurrection of Christ, his son. He did not leave his soul in hell or Hades, nor did he allow his Holy One to see the corruption of death. And if anyone is to know the favor of God upon his or her life, it must be because the righteousness of God in Christ is placed on that person's account. This is righteousness revealed in the gospel. And it 
and the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. But the second thing we see in our text is the right is righteousness received. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's important then for us to understand that righteousness, true righteousness, is not something innate or found naturally in us. It is alien to us. We need what the reformers and others have called an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of ourselves, something that we can't produce and that doesn't come from us. For all of our righteousness, all are as filthy rags. There is none righteous, not even one. Nor can there ever be a righteousness derived from us that will suffice to make anyone right or righteous before God. This is the crux of the gospel issue that Luther and other reformers were concerned with and where they drew a theological line in the sand. But what is the means by which righteousness becomes ours? How is the righteousness of God put on the account of the sinner? This was Luther's question, the question that haunted him and to which he became desperate to have an answer. And it is a fundamental question with regards to the gospel and its application to the sinner. This question concerns not only the revelation of the gospel, but its application as well. The first thing we need to understand then is that righteousness is conceived from faith. Righteousness is conceived from faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed in it, the gospel, from faith to faith. How and where does this work of righteousness begin in the sinner's heart? How is the impregnable, unbelieving heart of stone caused to look upon Christ and his saving work? It begins with a work of faith. But that work of faith is not something the sinner works up from within himself or herself. It is conceived by an act of God. Faith itself is a gift of God, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us. And this is attested to in other New, passage, New Testament passages. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, Peter and John had just been used by the Lord to heal a lame man. Describing what happened, Peter said, and his name in his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is by Jesus has given this man perfect health again in acts 14:27 speaks of how god had opened the door of faith to the gentiles and it was with this view of faith in mind that paul says in romans 3:27-28 where then is boasting. It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, that is for this reason, we conclude that one is justified, that is declared righteous by faith apart from the deeds of the law. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel, and it originates in the conception of faith in the heart of a sinner by the God of all grace. Righteousness is conceived from faith. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, 
visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for his glory each and every day.